Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Since I only have 23 chapters covered tonight, I don't want to get on my hobby horse just for a minute. Uh, I want to say something as people who are supposed to be uh, desiring to know more about God's Word and follow it. And I, I'll explain that in just a minute, or you'll understand why I say it that way in just a minute. I'm on several preachers' groups through Facebook and email and things like that uh, because it helps keep up with various things that are happening, and sometimes it gives you ideas for lessons, or you can ask questions on text if you're struggling with something. It's very helpful, or you can help others. And there was a preacher this week, I guess it was Monday, that posted something. He was a young preacher who knows everything, uh, and he po- we were talking about Deuteronomy, and he posted on uh, Monday that Deuteronomy was uh, not written by Moses, that it was uh, written by many different authors after the fact. They just kind of took various oral traditions and recorded them down. And so it's after the fact, so it really cannot be trusted. And his support for that was, in his statement, that all of the scho- almost all of the scholars uh, agree with his position. I've had several preachers say things like that to me over the last 27 years. I had a very prominent preacher in the church I was corresponding with back in about 1996, that after about eight or ten letters back and forth, his response to me was to just make a photocopy of the letter I had sent him and write on the front of it, all scholars disagree with you, but who knows, maybe you're the one who's right. And that's here's, here's why, why I say all of that. Uh, we don't need scholars. What we need is students. There's a difference between a scholar and a student. A scholar is somebody who already knows everything, And they're supposed to disseminate something. A student is somebody who approaches the scripture to try to learn something. And that's what we all ought to be, right? And here's what you learn when you go to the book of Deuteronomy. It was one of the books written by Moses, except for the very last part that records his death. It was written by Moses. And it was written at the end of the 40-year wilderness wanderings. And what was happening at that time, if you were here last week, you already know this. Uh, what was happening was they had wandered so long that a whole generation from 20 years old and up had died. And so they did not have the foundation of being at Mount Sinai back when the book of Leviticus was recorded by Moses and God was stating the law to the people. So this whole new generation that's about to go into this land and Moses, who already has been told by God that he's not going in, that he's going to die, Uh, presents by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is what Paul says the scriptures are, uh, to this whole new nation of people what it is to follow and to know and follow God and his law. And the reason is they're going to fail if they don't know it. That's what happened already in the wilderness, right? They just didn't know enough about how to follow God and they didn't I mean they had they had words but they didn't apply it in a way that actually impacted who they were and so they suffered and they died and that's not you, you got to try to prevent that from happening to this next generation so this book Deuteronomy is a second stating of the law that does not mean he took one sermon and delivered it two times It does cover the same material, but it covers it in a different way. The first time in the book of Leviticus was primarily given for the priesthood because they're going to have to lead the people in following this. On the other hand, and they're still having to when you get to Deuteronomy, but when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, he's trying to teach the people about this from their perspective because if they don't do what the priesthood is trying to teach them, they're going to fail anyway, right? 
Okay, so, uh, so they're about to enter in the promised land. And I'm covering 23 chapters tonight because there is a lot that's repetitive in Deuteronomy that was given in Leviticus. It's stated a little different, but it's, it's repetitive. And so what I've chosen to do is some of these chapters, I'm just going to state what the chapter's about. Some of them we're going to read. I may have chosen too much to read. We'll see. Uh, but we're going to read through some of it that's different. You know, whether it's stated in a different way, whether it explains something that maybe we didn't get in Leviticus, because we did study through Leviticus fairly thoroughly. And so I don't want to be repetitive, but I want to highlight things that are unique in Deuteronomy versus Leviticus. And I want to get some impact as to what was actually happening as this was being delivered by Moses, as they're standing there on the other side of the Jordan River, preparing to enter into the promised land. Okay, so we're in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the first thing that happens in this chapter, chapter 5, I read the first thing that happens in our class tonight in chapter 5, is that he restates the Ten Commandments to them because that's the pillar of the law, right? If they don't get that, what does the rest of the law mean to them? It doesn't mean anything if it doesn't have the pillars, right? How does a house stand without a foundation? So they have to have these pillars to get to, to really build the rest of the law on it. But I want to read verses 23 through 27 first. Of Deuteronomy 5. So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. So I want to emphasize that because this is a new generation, right? They didn't have anybody who was a 20-year-old or below kid going up to Moses and saying what's happening here. He's talking about their ancestors and what their ancestors did. So they're at the mountain. The heads of the tribes and the elders go up to Moses. And you said... Surely the Lord, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has, who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. So he's just repeating what had happened. So they actually, he's kind of setting up what's going to be stated next. He's just telling them, this is how it all started. We were standing at the mountain, and God was speaking, and he delivered the Ten Commandments. The people heard God deliver the Ten Commandments. You know, you, you watch Charlton Heston in the movie, and Moses is up on the mountain for that, right? That's not the way it happened in the Scriptures. God is speaking to the people. Now, they can't see his form. What they see is a mountain, and it's quaking, and it's on fire, and there's smoke everywhere, and there's brightness. But what they hear is God. And God is, is speaking out these Ten Commandments. And at the end of it, they gather up their leaders, and they say, you've got to go talk to Moses because we're scared to death. You know, we're, we're not going to make it through this. God gives us the law. We're all going to die. You go talk to him, and then you come back and tell us, and we trust you. That's not the words they said, but that's what they mean when they say, you go find out and you come back and tell us and we'll do it. That means they trust him, right? Okay, so let's see what happens next. 28 and 29. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. This is what happened at Sinai, not what's happening here at, at Jordan. This is what happened at Sinai. And the people said, you go talk to God. We're afraid of him. 
You go talk to him, and he'll come, and then you come back to us, tell us what he said, and we're going to do it. And God says, they're afraid of me, but I wish they really were afraid of me. Because if they were, they would really do the right thing. What's he mean? As soon as they leave, as soon as they leave Sinai, 11 days after they leave Sinai, what happens? Kadesh Barnea, right? The spies? I mean, it's 40 days after they came into the, went in the land and came back, but it all happened there, didn't it? So they, here's the thing. Fear is a good motivator. Fear is a good motivator. There's nothing wrong with being motivated by fear. But the problem is, fear is not a, uh, a continual motivator. Fear is a temporary motivator. You know, we talk about fight or flight. All of us are equipped for, with a fight or flight instinct. And that means when something draws, you know, uh, surprises you or whatever, your body responds with your brain and jokes so quickly to do one of two things, either fight or run, right? Okay, but what happens when you run? It's over, right? Your, your object is to get away from whatever you're afraid of, right? And if you fight... Win or lose, eventually it's over, right? So the fear is a temporary thing. Could you imagine living, if you've ever had a, you know, you've been in your yard and all of a sudden you're just wandering along, there's a snake. Instantaneous adrenaline, right? Did you shake a little afterwards? Maybe, maybe you're driving your car. You ever had anybody pull out in front of you and you had to slam on your brakes and then the next few minutes you're driving and you're shaking just a little bit? Can you imagine going through life like that? Constantly? See, fear doesn't work that way. And so what God's saying to them in this, I really wish your fear had something more behind it because the bottom line is one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to forget your fear or something's going to come along either greater or more immediate that's going to cause a greater fear. That is what happens, right? You have a fear of God, but God's way out there somewhere. Or way down there in time somewhere. And what I'm afraid of right here is right here right now. Which makes it greater. Right? Even something as simple as maybe your family's rejecting you. You're afraid of it. Is that as big a deal as God rejecting you? No. But it can create a greater fear because it's right here right now. Whereas God's out there somewhere. You see what I'm trying to say? What God's saying to them is... They have said to him, we are so afraid we're not even going to approach you, but we will do what you tell us to do. And God says, I only wish that were true. Because in a little short time, you're going to be more afraid of the giants than you are of me. They need to know this because they're about to go into the land. All right, chapter 6. They have a responsibility, and that is to teach the law from generation to generation to generation. Because they're not going to be repeating this, right? They had it in Leviticus. Now he's repeating it 38 years later at at Jordan. Are they going to do it again in 40 years? So let's start reading verse 4 and go all the way down through verse 15. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Those are not just words. God is saying more than fear, you need to develop a love that is so great that it actually encompasses all of you. Keep going. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
And it shall be when the Lord your God brings you in the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you've eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. So he starts out with, you've got to pass this down from generation to generation. Then he tells them how. And by the way, they missed this. I don't think they missed it immediately. But they missed it pretty quickly and they really messed it up by the time of Jesus. Because uh, he talked about doorposts and frontlets and, you know, your hands and your head and all that kind of stuff. They took that literally. By the first century, I mean, they were going around with fringes. My fringes got to be bigger than your friends to show you I'm more spiritual than you. And they had boxes on their heads that had verses in it because that's certainly what he's talking about here, right? But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is always have it in your mind, always have it in your heart, always have it in your actions, always have it in the way you deal with other people. And what happens is over the course of time, what you say is backed up by what you do and the next generation sees it. We have a lot of bad things that happen in this country that we ought to be able to stop. Why haven't we stopped them? Perfect example told you last week, I think I've told you this before, been involved in a Tuesday night study on racism for, I don't know, five weeks or so now, a Zoom thing on racism. Why is it that an issue that we were supposed to have dealt with 50 years ago is still being dealt with today? Two things. Not taught and not backed up with our actions. Because even if you say it, if you don't do it, the next generation doesn't learn it. And by the way, I, I, I don't want to criticize everybody who has actions that I believe are inappropriate because some of them just simply don't know. But who do you criticize in that case? Yeah, the generation that was supposed to teach them, right? All right? And that's exactly what we're talking about with Israel here. So he says, look, I just wish, I just wish you people really had the kind of fear that you say that you have. Because if you did, then what would happen is you won't go after idols. If they really understood God, why, would, why in the world would they worship a calf? If they really understood God. If we really understood God, why would these temporary things take so much importance in our lives? If we really understood God, why wouldn't worship be the most important thing in who we are? It would, wouldn't it? Keep going. All right, chapter 7. I want to read verses 1 through 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. You know what God just said? The exact same thing those spies said. <laughs> oh, the, the land is perfect. It's exactly what God said. But those are strong cities and big people. We can't take them. God just said the same thing, didn't he? But he also said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land and cast out nations. Who do you say is going to do it? Yeah, God is. Uh, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them. They're going to fail there. 
nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For, that's a why, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But, thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And you know, when you're a parent, there are times that you can discuss things with your child. There are times that you can explain things to your child. And there are times that they will understand. There are far more times that they're not going to get it, right? And then eventually you get to that place where you say, because I said so. Because you just can't argue with them anymore. But the bottom line is, the reason you have set forth whatever barriers you have set forth is because you know things that your kids don't know, right? And even if you explain them to your kids, they still don't know it. Because they don't have the experience of whatever failures you have or whatever successes you have or whatever you have seen. Someday they will and they'll tell their kids the exact same things. Right? And that's what I hear God doing here. He's saying, look, I want you to go in and destroy all these people. And by the way, he's going to tell them in a minute why this has to happen. But destroy all these people and don't save anything. And don't make any any covenants with them, what they're going to do is they're going to accept some of them as servants. They'll say, oh, they're our servants. We're going to, that'll be okay. God said, don't do that. Don't let your kids marry them. Don't, whether it's your son or your daughter, don't let them marry them. And then he explains why. Because the consequence of you doing all of that is eventually that's going to influence you and I'm going to have to punish you. Isn't that way you do it with children? Please do the right thing. I don't want to punish you. They think we live for that, right? I don't want to have to take your car away. I don't want to have to ground you. I don't want to take your phone or your internet away. But we will, won't we? Why? Because we love them. And we know the consequences of the direction that we're trying to keep them from going, right? Did God not know that? Keep going. Yeah. If they do the first one, the rest of it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. Yes. Let's compromise just a little bit. They're not going to. Yeah, he knows. All right, 7 through 11. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you're more number than any other people, for you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out of a mighty, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord... The, the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments, and he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you to do to observe him. Now here, just in case you start to think, okay, we're going to go destroy all these people, and that's going to make me kind of important. Kind of strong. And on top of that, it makes me better than you because God's fighting on my side and not on your side. Just in case you start to think that way, I want you to know, I didn't choose you because you're so great. I didn't choose you because you're better than these people. I chose you. And by the way, he didn't choose them for salvation. He chose them for a purpose, which was to bring a Messiah. So he says, I chose you 
because of your ancestors who did what I asked them to do. Abraham, leave your land and I'll give you descendants. What did Abraham do? Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham packed up and left. Isaac, same thing. Jacob, are, were, the, were any of those guys perfect? Do we know about their failures? Yeah. yeah. But they walked where God told them to walk, right? So he's saying the reason you people are here today is not because you were so awesome. It's because your ancestors did what I asked you to know. Now, what I'm telling you is the next generation, if they stay in the land, it'll be because you did what I asked you to do. And then the next generation is because they, that's why you get to the book of Judges and it says everybody did what was right in God's eyes whenever you had Joshua there and all the elders who outlived him. But then another generation arose and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It's, it's incredible when you know the, how the account's going to go. You know what God knows and you're still hearing pleading with him, isn't it? All right, 21 through 23 of chapter 7. You shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You'll be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. Interesting enough, the God who could in six days speak into existence all that exists in the world could have just eliminated the Canaanites by himself, couldn't he? And then said, here you go, take this. But here's the problem. And he could have done it this way anyway. But the problem is they've got to go into this land and they've got to work it, right? What happens when you leave a house alone for years and years and years? Does it get better? It decays, right? I was seeing on the news today. Uh, people are having problems with their cars. You know why? They're all working from home. Nobody's driving their cars. You set your car out in the yard for six months. It doesn't run anymore. It decays. So this land, God says, I'm not going to just drive everybody out and just throw you in there. I'm going to do it piece by piece so that the land is not going to be too much for you. Even that is in God's timing. He's blessing them even in the way they take the land. So they can, like he said a while ago, get fruit from vineyards and olive trees that they didn't plant. Live in houses that they did not build and cities that they did not fortify. Remember that? All right. Let's go to 25 and 26. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it's an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. But you shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. Now, I like the way this is worded because of this. Everybody knew they were supposed to get rid of the idols. And you know what? Whether or not you really want to get rid of the idols, it's easy to be motivated to do so if it's made of gold, right? I'm going to burn this idol up made of gold. You know why? I want the gold. So God wants to make sure their motivation in doing this is to follow him. And so he says, I want you to even get rid of the gold and the silver. Don't burn it up so that you can become wealthy. I'll take care of you. You just get rid of the things that I detest. So he's testing them. All right, chapter 8, verses 2 through 5. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to, to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. 
that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. So you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. The reason they were in the wilderness forty years is God punished them. But even in his punishment were his promises fulfilled. Did he take care of them? Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. Their shoes didn't wear out. They were fed all the way. They had water all the way. He said, you're standing here today because God made a promise. So even when he chastened you, which is how he tested them and got rid of a nation, he still fulfilled his promise to those who followed him, didn't he? And, and that, the point of that is he'll keep doing that, won't he? Okay, 11 through 20. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and ate and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the rock of Flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Now let's stop there because that's the point. Uh, I think that's the saddest thing. Uh, I, I think it's incredibly sad in our own country that we call ourselves a Christian land, though I greatly challenge that. Uh, we call ourselves a Christian nation, and we talk about being founded in a Christian place, and yet our nation completely and fully believes that we are self-made. We believe that we are self-made. I don't have to say it. I live it. You know how I live it? Every time there's a challenge to my way of life, I handle it. I fix it. It has to be in my hands and in my control. If there's a challenge to my way of life, I control it. Whereas, who provided me this way of life? God did. And you say, oh, that's not true. I work pretty hard. Well, yeah, but where'd you get the ability to do that? Where did you get the opportunity to learn to do that? Where did you get the fact that you were born where you were born, when you were born, with the opportunities that are there no matter who you are? You say, well, I don't have the opportunities everybody else has. You do have opportunities, though, that all come from God, right? We are not self-made. What he's telling these people is, you're not self-made, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to get in your houses, and you're going to be comfortable, and you're going to be fat, and you're going to be laying back and saying, I've done pretty well for myself. And then you're going to forget God. Do you know it's easier to forget God when everything's going good than it is when everything's going bad? I'll tell you what, you let the doctor tell me I'm in trouble, I'm going to remember God. Right? Whoever faced death and said, well, I wonder who I'm going to talk to about this. <laughs> you ever heard the old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes? Because when you're afraid this is the end, you want something bigger, somebody bigger, Right? And that's God, right? Doesn't matter if they believe in him or not. They want something, right? But when it's going good, I don't always need him. Because the sailing's smooth, right? Okay. You see why I don't ever get through all the material I'm supposed to cover? All right, chapter 9. Let me read verse 4. 
Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. And I want you to hear that because they didn't hear it. He said, don't think the reason you're going to go beat the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Girgashites is because you're just so good. It's because they rejected me. And when they rejected me, they get the punishment. Now, what does that mean to Israel? If they reject God, what do they expect? Will it happen? Chapter 10, let's read verses 12 through 15. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God and also the earth with all that is in it. I don't think I'm in it. Yeah. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is today. So again, he stated why he chose them. It's not because they were so good. It's because of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and those who continued to follow. Now, about out of time, so let me summarize a little bit here. Chapter 11, they got a choice. This is why he's telling them all this stuff. You got a choice. God grant, Could God have made them do what he wanted them to do? Absolutely. Would that have been an act of love? No. So really he can't, can he? Because God is love. So his love forces him to give man free will. Israel had free will. Chapter 12. God's going to choose the place. When they go in, they don't get to choose where they're going to meet with God. God's going to tell them where that's going to happen. He's going to set it up, and they're going to be the ones to follow him. Chapter 13. You know, does anybody know how you can tell if a prophet was a true prophet? If what he said come true. But there's one more thing. Moses recorded Leviticus, didn't he? Yeah, and now he's recording Deuteronomy. So here's the thing. He talks about dreamers of dreams and people that say things. And even if it comes true, if what they say is different than what's here, you know what they're supposed to do? Put them to death. And that accomplished two things. It punished the evildoer and it kept anybody else from doing it. If I knew, hey, this guy just got a big old following for telling about a dream, and he did okay, I might be tempted to do that, right? But if he got a big old following for telling a dream, and then they killed him, well, I'm probably not going to try that, right? So even if somebody comes up and says, hey, I had this dream from God today, if what he says is different than God's word, don't listen to him. Oh, boy, do we need that today. How many televangelists are flying around in their private jets because we send them millions and millions of dollars because they tell us what that God told them, which is contrary to what God told us. And yet we still buy it. An abomination. And in this account, worthy of death. Wow. Chapter 14, he deals with the laws of their food, clean and unclean. And the reason that's significant, well, not the only reason, but uh, God was protecting them. But the reason it becomes significant to me is because later on you got an account where Peter's taking the gospel to the Jews. And then God says, hey, go, go talk to Cornelius. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that because he's a Gentile, right? 
Now, he didn't say that, but that's what, that's what God was saying his attitude was when he showed him the clean and unclean animals because the law had changed. Chapter 15. You know, they had the release on the seventh year, right? And that, that was the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee. But you know people, you know people, you know us. Uh, listen, if you owe me a debt and it's year one uh, and you say, look, I'll serve you till the seventh year, the sabbatical year to pay off that debt and you release the debt and you let me go home after that, I'm going to take that deal, right? But if I have the same debt that you come to me in the sixth year and you say, I'll tell you what, I'll work for you and then on the Sabbath year I'm going to let you go home, I'm going to say, wait a second. That's a half a year's work. What happened to the, let's wait. Let's wait till we get past the Sabbath year and let's start then. And God says, that's not the way it's going to work. You're going to do it right. You're going to do it the exact way that I tell you to do it. You're going to do it when I tell you to do it. And you're going to do it how I tell you to do it. And what's going to happen is it's going to keep you from abusing the people that are oppressed. We still do it today. All right, keep going. Chapter 16 talks about the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. Chapter 17, they had a responsibility to practice proper judgment. Chapter 18, the Levites. They didn't have a land. How are they going to survive? The people are going to take care of them. Why? (laughs) The easy answer is because God said so. The right answer is because the people need them. They need the Levites. And so because of the fact that they need that, God provided it for them. Now their responsibility is to take care of them. Chapter 19, they had cities of refuge that are set up there on the west side of the Jordan, or they're going to be, and the reason is because they need proper judgment. You know, you can't just take vengeance on somebody just because you think you ought to be able to. There was a city of refuge where somebody could flee to to get proper judgment. Chapter 20, they were given instructions for their battles, uh, and the cities inside Canaan, destroying everything and all of that. Chapters 21 through 27 deals of laws of marriage and laws of parenting and laws of property. And I have just a couple of passages here I want to read. And one of them I want to read because, well, I just think it's funny. Chapter 25, I want to read verses 5 through 10. You remember, uh, you remember they had a responsibility to, uh, to take care, to, to lineages, right? They're supposed to, ancestors are supposed to pass down the inheritance of the land, right? Okay, what if they didn't have lineage? Well, that comes up here. Chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. If, you're, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and he has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. And then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot and spit in his face and answer and say... So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. That's a great name, isn't it? The house of him who had his sandal removed. You know what he's talking about here? The funny part of it is you've got to take his sandal, his own sandal off, by the way, not hers. His sandal off and then spit in his face. You know why that's, that's why it's funny. You know why it's not funny? 
Because what God's talking about is honor. Just not being willing to do what God said for you to do. Why would you not be willing to do it? You just didn't want to. You remember there was an account, we'll get to it later, where a brother died. Actually, we've already gone through it. Yeah, we've already gone through it. Uh, it was Judah, where a brother died, and the next brother was supposed to go in and raise an heir, and you know what he said? Won't be my heir. Why am I going to work so hard to raise my brother's heir? So he didn't produce. You know what? He died. Yeah, he died. Yeah, they just didn't do. The point of this is honor. Do the right thing, and God is pleased. Don't? Well, there are consequences. Okay, uh, now 16 through 19 of Deuteronomy 26. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you should be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people just as he has promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God just as he had spoken. You know what a covenant is? It's an agreement between two entities. God made a promise. Israel made a promise. Israel breaks the promise. God punishes them. That's the way covenants work. Okay, chapter 28, promise blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And that's the point. They were supposed to enter in the covenant. They did enter the covenant, and then they didn't follow it. You know, the person that says, I'm going to do the right thing, and they chose not to do it. Okay, we'll pick up there next week. Let's close tonight with a prayer.